Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Good morning. I'm here to share um, and for all of us to hear some women's stories this morning. And the first one, I would like to tell you about Harriet Tubman. She was born a slave in Maryland in 1822, which is actually just 100 years before my parents were born. (laughs) Her owner died when she was 27. Then two of her sisters were sold into the deep south, and Harriet was terrified that would be her fate as well. She took a big chance, and she escaped 90 miles north to freedom. She told others, I had crossed the line. I was free. But there was no one to welcome me to the land of freedom. I was a stranger in a strange land. And my home, after all, was down in Maryland. Because my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, they were all there. But I was free. And they should be free also. I would make a home in the north and bring them there, God helping me. Oh, how I prayed then, she said. I said to the Lord, wish I could do this in her accent. I said to the Lord, I'm going to hold steady on to you, and I know you'll see me through. Gratitude made Harriet Tubman do something absolutely crazy. She risked her freedom, she risked her life in over a dozen trips back to the south. And she led at least 70 other slaves to freedom in those trips, including much of her own family. She was so grateful that she couldn't just walk away with her freedom. Today, we are going to look at the results of deep gratitude in people's lives women's in particular, but not only women. Today's portion from the book of Luke 8, from the book of Luke, chapter 8, is short, just three verses. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. Let's pray together. 
Father God, we come to you this morning asking you to give us hearts of gratitude for all you have done for us. May we receive your words with open hearts and apply them to our lives. I pray that you would please bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to skip around the book of Luke a bit today to keep some context in mind. Back in the first chapter, yeah, we're going to go from beginning to end, actually. Um, In the first chapter, Luke opens his gospel with a brief introduction, and he said, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decide to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. It's important to note that Luke was not present during Jesus' ministry. He was not one of the twelve. But like any good investigative reporter, he asked detailed questions and wrote extensive notes and then arranged them into a cohesive, orderly whole. Who were the eyewitnesses that he interviewed? This took me down a bit of a rabbit trail when I was researching for this, and I think it's important, so I'm going to go here. Um, I suggest that several, perhaps many women, told their stories to Luke. First, we almost certainly have Mary, the mother of Jesus. Who but Mary or Elizabeth or Zechariah could have told Luke about Zechariah's vision in the temple and that miraculous baby in their old age? I suspect that Elizabeth and Zechariah, John's parents, were deceased long before Luke came on the scene, 30-some years later. They were already old before that. Who but Mary could have told Luke about the angel's visit to her privately, about her impromptu visit with Elizabeth, her cousin? Who could have reported the words of Mary's song of praise, the Magnificat, but one of the women present in that private home? Who could have recorded the words of Zechariah's song save one of those who was present? Three times Luke tells us that Mary pondered or treasured these things in her heart. As an author of fiction, I can tell you that means we're in that character's point of view. Only the character whose story is being told can give their thoughts. Otherwise, it's called author intrusion, and it's basically making it all up. (laughs) No one but Mary could have told Luke those details. Almost certainly, she was one of the eyewitnesses whose stories Luke wove together in his retelling of the gospel. So between the birth of Jesus in Luke 2 and today's passage in Luke 8, we've seen, as Rachel read, many healings, exorcisms, and other miracles We've heard a few sermons. Um, We've seen Jesus' influence grow. And last week, Pastor Tom led us in some uncomfortable contemplation about the situation in the last few verses of chapter 7. So here we are in Luke 8. The 12 are with him. Um, Jesus is traveling about. There are also some women who have been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Some women... 
And while the twelve seemed to be led by Peter, James, and John, Rose, later. This, this one isn't yours. No, that's good. That's perfect. While the twelve seemed to be led by Peter, James, and John, the women seemed to be led by Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna. Who are these women? Hi, my name's Mary. From town of Magdala, beside the Sea of Galilee, I had been possessed by seven demons. I tried to get rid of them on my own, but they were too strong for me. But Jesus of Nazareth told the demons to be gone, and they had no choice but to leave me. Out of love and appreciation, I traveled with Jesus for over three years after that. I helped take care of his needs and make sure he had food to eat and a place to retreat after a long, hard day. Hi, my name is Susanna, one of the many women who followed Jesus day in and day out. He healed us all, one way or another. We experienced the power of Jesus and then lived with a deep sense of gratitude. After all, Jesus cured each of us of diseases and evil spirits. He radically transformed us and gave us new life. Out of love and appreciation, we followed Jesus everywhere he went for three years or so. We've learned a lot about serving and obeying. The journey has been so worth it, whatever the cost. Hi, my name is Joanna, and I'm from Macarius, east of the Dead Sea. My husband, Cusa, is the household steward of Herod Antipas. We had all the money and connections possible in first century Judea, but no amount of money could heal me of my disease. Only Jesus could, and he did. Out of love and appreciation for what he did for me, I walked away from political power to find my destiny using my wealth and connections to help care for Jesus' daily needs. Thank you. It's entirely possible, likely even, that Joanna is the credible witness who had been present at Herod's banquet when Herod had John the Baptist beheaded, which Luke records in past tense in the very next chapter. Did Herod Antipas know that the wife of his right-hand man was following Herod's sworn enemy, Jesus, the cousin of John? What did Cusa think of his wife's doings? The Bible doesn't tell us. We also don't know what Joanna or Susanna were healed of, but because of the wording in the text that all of the women who followed Jesus had been healed of various diseases, we assume that the case was that for them as well. Imagine for a moment Jesus and the Twelve walking around Galilee. You saw a bit of it in that clip, the dust, the, um, the background, the setting. Day in and day out, he's telling stories, preaching sermons, blessing children, healing the sick. He's reading scripture in the synagogues, and he's comforting, or not comforting, confronting the Pharisees. Not so much comforting. <laughs> he's surrounded by people, day and night. But he still somehow manages to sneak off by himself to pray. Imagine being part of his entourage. Imagine soaking up all these truths. Imagine witnessing the healings. Imagine 
feeling responsible for this man's well-being. Women feel responsible very well. It's one of our talents. Jesus is working himself to a bone. He should get some rest. He should take a vacation. Or at the very least, he should send people away so he can enjoy a good home-cooked meal around that campfire that Joanna and Susanna and Mary and their friends had built and, and cooked there. How many times do you think he was late for dinner because one more person, then another, waylaid him, pleading for a healing that only he could give. Jesus never said, this message is only for men. It's true that no women were part of the twelve, but he welcomed this group of women into his everyday life. Did he need them to take care of him? What do you think? This, this is the, the man who proved time and time again that he could do anything. He had all the power to make certain that his inner circle was cared for. I mean, he fed 5,000 people out of five small loaves of bread and two small fish. We don't need to be good at math to know that one loaf of bread is not feeding 1,000 people. So they don't even have to be hungry, right, or, or not hungry. He didn't need them to serve him. He doesn't need us to serve him either. He didn't need them to care for the 12. He had all the power he needed to take care of their daily needs. He could have sent the women away, unwelcome, unnecessary, really, but he didn't. He let them hear the stories and the explanations. He let them participate day after day after day for three and a half years. He didn't care that they had big problems they couldn't solve without his help. He didn't care that in that time, women were never included in adult teaching environments alongside the men. These women were inexperienced. They were unqualified. They had no place of honor on their own, no matter their wealth and connections, such as Joanna must have had. Jesus healed these women, and he valued them. Out of love and appreciation, they followed him and helped him. I'm sure there were days when all went well, but there were some where things did not go well. There's one that stands out in history as a day when things seemed very, very bad. The thread through the Gospels does not mention this group of women often. The next time we see them, or who is probably them, is in Luke 23, verses 26 to 27, after Jesus is arrested on that very black day. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. They continued to follow to the hill of Golgotha with heavy, grieving hearts. 
Long gone were those sunny days along the Sea of Galilee. Jesus teaching from a boat. Now the unthinkable happens as Jesus is condemned, crucified, dead. We see the women again in verses 48 and 49, still in Luke 23. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus respectfully took Jesus' body from the cross and placed it in a tomb just before the Sabbath began. Luke chapter 23 concludes with, The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Can you imagine a worse day for this group of women? They had spent many hours at the foot of the cross as they watched their beloved rabbi, their healer, die in excruciating death. They were present. They did not retreat from the darkness. The men fled. The women did not. And thus they were there to see what God was doing to change the course of history. The next chapter, Luke 24, begins like this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you. While he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners. Be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. Remember what he told you. Our women, Mary, Joanna, Susanna, and all the others who are unnamed were the first to preach that Jesus was alive. These women had been so changed by what God had done for them. Of the grace he'd given, they were compelled to share. Today, I want to invite a group of women to share their experiences with you. Please come on up. Hello, my name is Amber. I've struggled with and continue to struggle with confidence in who I am. However, through the grace of God, I am growing and learning that first and foremost, I am his. Out of my love and appreciation for what he is teaching me, I am able to step outside of my comfort zone and lead a connect group. 
I am also now able to be in front of you all to give a short testimony about how God is growing me as his child. Thank you. Hello, my name is Rose Vida Plant, uh, Rose for short. During World War II, before I was three years old, the Lord miraculously saved my life. We immigrated to Canada in 1953. After high school, the Lord led me to a hospital to become an RN. I was 19, and one morning my task was to wash the body of a woman who had died. I became obsessed with a serious need for answers. Why was I alive? Does my life have a purpose, a meaning? Two Christian nurses heard my questions and they committed to pray for my salvation each lunchtime. Often, while they were at work, they would go into a bathroom and pray. Please hear this. The Lord heard their prayers. And at a Christian camp, I learned that the answer to my question was a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for me. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. That's from a hymn called Victory in Jesus. That was the happiest day of my life. Some of you may remember that I was married to Bill Plant, and my love and appreciation for the rest of my life was spent living for the Lord at Bill's side. Thank you. Good morning. I'm Glenna Balcom, and many of you know my story, but some of you don't. Um, in 2011, when my husband and I, Gord, and I were still living in Vernon, I began to experience extreme bone pain, especially in my back and my ribs. And it took a while before they realized that I had what's called multiple myeloma, which is cancer of the plasma cells. And what happens is your plasma cells begin to multiply way more than they should, and they take up area in the bone marrow in your bones. Pardon me. And um, eventually I had five compression fractures because the bones get weak because, because of this growth uh, of the plasma cells leaving big gaps in your bones. So I'll make a long story short here. Um, when my doctor finally uh, diagnosed me in 2011, at that time, the prognosis wasn't great. He said I could have maybe three or four years. And um, he uh, sent me immediately to the oncologist in Vernon at the time, and he suggested I see if I would be a candidate for a stem cell transplant. And that is exactly what happened. Um, my husband came with me to the Gene Barber Cancer Lodge, which isn't too far from Vancouver General Hospital in Vancouver, and we were there for six weeks. There's more about that story. I won't, I won't tell you it right now, but um, we began, I began the treatment there, and it was rough. And I often thought about the, uh, the poem about the footprints when God is actually carrying you because you can't carry yourself. 
And I, I felt that. I knew that I was being carried by God. And um, it was called, I had a stem cell transplant, and it's called an analogous stem cell transplant. So it meant that they took blood out of my own body and spun it out and took out stem cells from my own body. Then they applied the chemotherapy, and after that, the, the stem cells were reintroduced into my body. So here I am today, <laughs> 2024, and I'm just, yeah, amen. Thank you, Lord. It's, um, it's amazing. I'm, I'm here, and uh, it's been a journey. I think a lot of you would remember a few years ago when I took a treatment in Cranbrook. It was called Daratumumab, which is a monoclonal antibody treatment. And many of you knew about it. You prayed for me. And I had, to get, I had to get rides for 33 weeks in a row that year. I couldn't drive. And uh, many of you were there to help me. I'm just ever grateful for all that. And I think about the scripture. It's simple. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I'm a different person today than I was before this all happened. Um, I have a gratefulness in my heart, which is... It's, it's just amazing. And also, I have, um, I have compassion for people mm-hmm. that I never had before because of what I've gone through. So I am truly grateful. And I'm truly grateful for this beautiful family that I am part of here at the Erickson Covenant Church. Thank you guys for all your support, your prayers. <laughs> here I am today. Thank you very much. Hello, my name is Cheryl Hambry, <clears throat> and uh, I suppose many years ago I wouldn't have darkened the door of a church, so I was uh, an atheist, quite committed to that, and uh, I lived fully the life of a hippie, and because in those days it was an appealing thing to live, to find freedom, love, peace, and after a few years of that kind of freedom, I was desperately looking for something different, very disillusioned. And it was then that Jesus stepped into my life and he brought me out into a new type of freedom, teaching me a new type of love and a new type of joy. And out of love and appreciation for what Jesus did to me, I went on to study in Bible school, went on to full-time service, uh, partly first on on a university campus, and then later with my husband into Pakistan and Kazakhstan for, I guess, 30 years we were working. And now, um, by God's grace, that he's led me now into serving the community through counseling. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Out of thankfulness we follow. I think that's the theme, right? Out of love and appreciation, out of thankfulness, out of deep heartfelt gratitude for what Jesus has done for us, we follow. Sold out. No price too high. Today is the second Sunday of Lent as we turn our hearts and minds towards the climax of Jesus' ministry his death and resurrection, when these women 
with, with these women, a sense of deep mourning gives away to the greatest of joys. If you're here today or watching online and you've never considered the healing and the purpose that Jesus offers you through his life, his death, and resurrection, won't you consider that today? He did it for Mary, Joanna, Susanna, the Twelve, and many others. And he did it for you and for me. I'd love to talk to you afterwards or turn to the person next to you after the service and ask them to tell you more. If you are a follower of Jesus today, may I ask you, how deep is your love and gratitude? I'm asking myself this question. I've been asking it for a few weeks. How deep is my love? How deep is my gratitude? If there is a limit to your appreciation, to my appreciation, if the cost of following seems too high, then look again at what he has done for you. He gave everything so that you and I might have eternal life. He didn't wait for us to be worthy. He knew we never would be in our own power. Romans 5.8 tells us, but God demonstrates his love toward us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus does the saving, the healing, the giving of new life, and out of thankfulness, we follow. We serve where we can. Like Harriet Tubman, we can help lead others from a life of slavery to a life of freedom. Like Mary, Joanna, and Susanna, we can serve by putting our resources and our time where our mouth is. These women's greatest reward on earth was being first to realize that death had been unable to keep Jesus contained. He'd broken the chains. The women had witnessed power and healing before in their own lives and in the lives of others as they watched, but now they witnessed resurrection power. We too are witnesses. If we're believers... We've experienced God's forgiveness, healing, and resurrection power in our own lives. Not only the four women who shared today their beautiful stories of what God has done, but all of us have a story. Out of love and appreciation, we serve. Have we put that gratitude into action? Because gratitude without action isn't gratitude at all. Following Jesus and serving in whatever ways we can is our path to a life of joy and purpose, even through hard times. You've seen the pattern today in these testimonials. My name is. Jesus did this for me. Out of love and appreciation, I respond by. May I invite you to fill in those blanks this week in your quiet time. What has Jesus done for you? How are you responding? How have you responded? How are you responding today? How will you respond in the time that God has left for you? Let's pray. 
Dear Jesus, you were in very nature God himself, but you did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. You made yourself nothing, a lowly servant in human likeness, humbling yourself by becoming obedient to death on a cross for my sake. You rose again in defeat of death for me. Out of love and appreciation, I follow you. I serve you. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.